Welcome to Real Talk with Bishop Brown. Our hope is that you are blessed and that your relationship with God continues to grow and flourish. The next voice that you'll hear will be that of Bishop Brown. Thank you for listening. We find ourselves living or existing in a world where our black men have become an endangered species. I initially wrote, we are becoming an endangered species, but I corrected that because we are that now. It is as if the world has discovered that there is something special about us. And rather than seeing us as ones deserving appreciation, admiration, and affection, we are seen as deserving ridicule, shame, and murder. It is clear that we don't appreciate the genius, the perseverance, and the primary status of being the first that God created. We've been the target of attack by Satan, by our society, and as was proven in the scenario with Tyree Nichols, even our own culture. We, we protested when George Floyd was killed and, and the myriad others who had been killed up until that point at the hands of police. Um, we argued collectively that if we just had community policing or you know, law enforcement that at least looked like the community that it served, that we would fare better. I mean, that just makes sense to me. At least it did before. <laughs> and I want you to know, Judson, that um, I'm not the most politically active pastor that I know. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the most politically active pastor that you know. But I can tell you one thing. I nor we will go silent until we see, and even beyond when we see, that the world understands that we are tired as hell and we're not taking it anymore. I, um, as I watched the video, as I watched the video, I was, I was by myself, and I sat up and I cried like, like a baby, um, kind of like I'm doing right now, because one, I saw this young man, and I saw him as not possibly being the threat that they made him out to be. I found out he was 29 years old. He was a year older than one of the cops, maybe more than one, but one in particular that killed him. He's one year younger 
than my own son. And all I saw, I saw Tyree, Tyree, but I saw my son. And I saw myself. And I saw all young brothers and even older brothers experiencing that which nobody deserved to experience. If he was guilty of something, it, reckless driving, driving while drunk, driving while black, if he hadn't died, there should have been still a, an outcry. The fact that he died demands that we that we make an outcry. We cannot do business as usual. We cannot, if, if, if those were five white men, as was the case with Derek Chauvin and, and, and George Floyd, I should say, didn't even mean to call Chauvin's name. George, in the case of George, Flo George Floyd, we thought we had seen the worst but until you see your own killing your own, un until you see, and it takes me all the way back to Africa when some of our own, some of our own sold our own out. So at any rate, um, I just want you to know, if you see me on TV, I'm on, I may force my way into some kind of, if you see me getting arrested, I just need you to understand that, um, that we, can't, we can't tolerate this. If you have a black man in your life in any capacity, love him, be it your father, your brother, your son, your husband, your uncle, your neighbor. Show them some love. I don't know who was I talking to today. Was it you, John? I don't know. That, that talked about how a black man has to live life with his head on a swivel because, because everybody, and this is not a statement of paranoia, but everybody is looking to sabotage the life of the black man. That black man must be some special. And I guess it makes sense since Jesus was a black man. Since Jesus was a black man, then I guess it makes sense. Because what did he do wrong other than just being, being God, being the son of God, and being a black man on earth? He, he... So, so I want every brother in this house to know that, that, that Judson is the place where you can come and be honored and be respected and be appreciated. I want you to understand that. This, this, this is a place where you, you can and will be affirmed. I don't care if you've been to prison. I don't care why. I don't care if you've been on drugs. I don't care why. I don't care if you've been whatever you've been. Because we all have been on something just to cope with the hell we live in on earth. 
Uh, would you stand and turn with me, Book of Romans? I want to look at verses one, uh, rather thirty-one through thirty-six, chapter eight, reading only verse thirty-five. Romans eight thirty-five. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the written, spoken, and living word of God. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our hands, that you may be glorified, that sinners would be saved, that the saints would be encouraged. This we ask in the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Who shall? separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I would tag this text secured by love. Secured by love. We've been looking at this idea of love all year all year long we're at the end of january seems like we were just saying happy new year we were just saying happy thanksgiving and um we're at the end of january and and so for this year we've already been looking at this this idea of living love living love just when I'm sure you were getting tired of hearing a sermon or a series about living love, we, we find the antithesis of love in the murder of Tyree, uh, Tyree Nichols. Um, so it appears to me that we have not done enough preaching, teaching, or living love. One thing cannot be denied is the love that God has for us. If you're ever feeling like you're without love, you need only look at the empty cross. The empty cross, the empty tomb uh, are clear evidences of God's love. And so it is the Apostle Paul's, I think, motivation as he writes the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is, has been referred to all as the Magna Carta of the Bible. It, it is indeed the most, perhaps, theological book in all of the Bible. He uses uh, more theological terms and concepts uh, to communicate to the church at Rome uh, uh, from, from this perspective uh, so that they can have not merely emotional connection and emotional understanding, but so that God uh, can utilize their minds to impart the biblical truths and doctrines that support the reason why we shout. I, I think it's important that, that, that we understand why it is we, we, in the words of my grandmother, Nim, get happy. Uh, anybody ever heard that term? Oh, yeah, she got happy the other day. Um, well, what's she happy about? She didn't look any more wealthy. She didn't, she didn't seem to be any more 
uh, endowed with things. Um, she was going through trouble and struggle like everybody else, but she, she had the nerve to get happy. You can get happy in the midst of these conditions, in the midst of these traumas and dramas and trouble, when you have a, a theological understanding of what God has already done for us, to us, through us, and in spite of us. So Paul, in this book of Romans, this letter to the church at Rome, he gives us some very practical um, and yet theologically deep concepts to help us understand who God is and perhaps more relative to where we are, who we are in him. And therefore, when he comes to verse 8, he is dealing with now concepts and, and, and teachings that he's done in previous chapters of this same book. Um, Namely, chapters um, 4 and 5 and 6 all resurface in this book of, in this chapter 8 of Paul's letter. And in chapters, uh, rather in chapter 8, uh, just throughout that whole chapter, he, he, he really drills down to some stuff that, that I think we may read too fast and, and miss the meat of what he's already talked about. For in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for whom? For those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Jesus. He, he didn't say for those who are walking the straight and narrow. He did not say those who, uh, you know, shout and run around the building every Sunday. He, he didn't talk about those who have it all together, but he says the criteria to be in this place or this space where there is no condemnation for you, uh, you need not be worried about how many sins you've committed or, or how many temptations of sins you, you've dealt with. You need only be in Christ. I uh, that prepositional phrase, in Christ, uh, is, is the meat of the matter. It does not matter what everything else has happened in your life, uh, but, but if you can find yourself where? In Christ. I wish you would say it like you're in there. Uh, if, you found, if you find yourself in Christ, uh, you have uh, a wealth of blessing and benefit uh, that, that maybe the eye cannot discern, but the heart is certainly aware of it. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to testify that I know I'm in Christ. I know I'm in Christ, and here's the beauty of being in Christ. It does not require an audition. It does not require a, a, a test. It, it doesn't require an admittance exam. It only requires that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of same Jesus. So having said that, he, he moves from that, that point in verse 1, and and begins to just expand on what all that means, what it means to be in Christ. And I'm not going to walk through that whole chapter, but let me just get back down to our text today because in our text, 
he says in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Here is something you may want to underline in your Bible, the next phrase of verse 31. If God, <laughs> if God, he's already told us that everything he's saying or implying in the if God statement, verses 1 through 30, uh, amplify the reality that, that sets up the if God statement. He says, if God is, help me read, for us. If God is for us. If, if God uh, is for us, who can be against us? Now, I guess that needs clarification because we've already talked about a, a young man. I don't know his relationship to the Lord, but I know he's one that the Lord loves. And yet, God allows bad things to happen to those he loves. Can anybody attest to that? Yeah, he allows bad things to happen to those whom he loves. If God is for us, who can be against us? He, he's, not, he's not raising this question as if to say nobody can have an, an ill or evil intention toward us. Uh, he is, however, suggesting as he will, as he works this out, he is, he is suggesting that it doesn't matter who's against us if he's for us. It doesn't mean you won't have some difficult days and some tough times, some heartache and some heartbreak, but he is reinforcing the fact uh, that he is for us. And notice he says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son. So just in case he did allow some loved one of yours uh, to experience some hard times, some, some evil things, it didn't start with your loved one. He, he, God allowed even his own son whom he loved. He allowed even his own son, whom he treasured and adored, whom, who was equal with God and yet was humbled to the point of submitting to the cross. That same person God allowed to go through what we could never go through so that we all could benefit from the relationship that Jesus Christ made available with his own death, burial, and resurrection. If God be for us, and I want to submit to you right now that he is, he is for us, and who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for who? For us all. You're talking about a Me Too movement. Somebody ought to say, Me Too. <laughs> Look, even me. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me. Now, if you're in this with me, then you ought to say, For me too. 
my goodness, how could God know everything about me and still allow his son to die for me? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We go through life as believers often complaining and whining about what we don't have, about what we cannot do, about the way of the world. And yet, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? You already have everything you need if you're in Christ. If we can just be in Christ, uh, there is nothing that we need that we don't currently have. You may not necessarily know all you have, but all you have is all you need. Oh, my God. I've got what I need. I, 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 I don't need anything that I don't already have. But everything I have is all I, all I need. I, I, I get ex excited. I came in here down, but I'm already lifted in my spirit because God has given me, even before the foundation of the world, everything that I would ever really need. Oh, my God. And might I add, everything I need is in Christ. Mm, come on now, look. E everything I need is in Christ. If you need something out outside of Christ, you need to change, you need to restrict, you need to, you need to reevaluate your needs. Because everything we need is in Christ. And so the text says, the text says, and I'm just reading and walking through it right now. Um, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, we know Satan does that all the time, right? Satan, Satan brings stuff about us to God all the time, as if God doesn't know already the stuff that the enemy is bringing to God. You, you, you remember when, when, when Job uh, was footloose and fancy free, and he was serving God, he was, he was, he was uh, praying on behalf of his children, um, and, uh, and, and one day, on, unbeknownst to jo Job, my God, there was a conversation in heaven uh, where Job was the topic and 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 God asked Job um, asked Satan where have you been Satan says well I've been walking to and fro seeking seeking whom I may devour and God said well hold on well since you're doing that have you considered my servant Job I get mad sometimes with God, God why you do that until I realize that, that I should be so honored to serve God faithfully enough uh, where he offers me up uh, to the enemy and say, try Brown. To which Satan said, well, you know, I thought about old Job, but it seems to me that you've got a hedge of protection around Job. You, I can't get to him. I, I, I can't. I can't seem to make headway uh, to get into his business, into his life, 
And, and God said, oh, is that the problem? Tell you what I'm going to do. I'll take part of the hedge away, and I'll give you limited access. Now, let me just throw this in parenthetically. This is a, parenthetically, a parenthetical statement to an already parenthetical statement. Um, the fact that God has to give Satan access says that God controls whatever the enemy does in our lives. I don't know that we really appreciated that right there. Listen, the fact that God had to take his hand somewhat off of Job to give Satan limited access. Because remember, he said, you can touch his body. You can touch his family. You can touch his crazy wife. You just can't do anything to their soul. Cut across the field. One day, unbeknownst to Job, his livestock have been wiped out. His children, all 10, have been wiped out. And his health wiped out. Understand this, that just because God allows trouble, heartache, and pain in your life as a believer um, does not mean that God does not love you. I know the enemy talks that talk. See, if you had done this, then you would not have been going through what you're going through. If you had not have done that, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. But please understand me, brothers and sisters, that, that God, though he has the power to punish, he does not live and exist to punish us. To be sure, there are consequences for our actions. He's going to say amen right there, too. There are consequences for our action. They are, they are built into uh, the whole fabric of life. If you, if you stand on, this, on, the, on the roof of this building uh, and step off, there is, it's not that God is going to punish you, uh, but there are consequences for our choices. And the law of gravity uh, will prove that to you quickly. It doesn't matter how much in the word you are or not. It matters not how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you do. Whatever you do for God, you can do all that you can do and please God. But if you step off of the roof, you are coming down. And very likely, you will not have a good end. And so, and so what God is saying to, through Paul in this, in this chapter 8 is that I love my children more than the enemy hates my children. Mm. He loves us more than Satan hates us. So, so when he says, who can be against us, he's saying essentially, uh, even a punk like Satan can't do anything that I don't allow. And if he allows it, he allows it for his own purpose, he allows it with his own permission, and he allows it uh, to ultimately demonstrate uh, that, that he can take even a scenario wherein Satan has involved himself and God can still get praise out of it. 
Who shall bring, I'm in verse, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Even though Satan thought he won when Jesus died, he quickly found out that just because you, you, you influence some people to ultimately kill Jesus, the reality is, is that you really didn't kill him, he gave his life. He had already beat you to the punch because it was preordained that, that the lamb would be slaughtered for the sins of the world. All you're doing, Satan, is watching things play out in real time. And so when you see it play out in real time, yeah, you may have nailed the nail, and you may have chopped down the tree, and you may have done whatever you did to facilitate his ultimate crucifixion, but the reality is, is that he had died even before the foundation of the world. You just are an actor in God's drama. And then verse 35, who shall separate us from, please say this with me, the love of Christ? Who, who can separate me from that? He goes on to name several scenarios. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. <laughs> In all these things, we are more than, somebody said, conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Whatever a conqueror is, we are more than that. In and of ourselves, no, through him who loved us. For I am sure, I love these lists, these, these runs of Paul. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? Separate us from what? The love of Christ, the love of God in Christ, Jesus. I'm, I'm really almost nervous to say anything else about this text. Because God has said, I think, in very succinct sentences, uh, all we need to know about his love for us. We know already uh, that, that God's love is greater than Satan's hatred. We know already uh, that, that, that there is nothing that can separate us from his love, even us. We can't separate. There's nothing you can do uh, to make God stop loving you. And I know that's a difficult concept to, to wrap our minds around because we have, I'm sure, all experienced some earthly relationship when someone who once loved us stopped loving us. But the God I serve, 
<laughs> I can't even stop him from loving me. I can turn my back on him. I can disobey him. I can sin against him. I can speak uh, uh, evil again, but nothing I do can stop. I wish I had help right there. Nothing that I do can stop God from, from, from loving me. You won't find a love like that anywhere at any point in your life. He loves us just that, just that much. And so, what, what, what does he expect from us with all of this kind of love? What, what, what is he doing it? Does he love us like that just because he loves like that? Well, I think in part, yeah. But I think also, God has the expectation that once I become aware of his great love towards me, a love that I can't buy, a love that I didn't even know to ask for, I didn't even know I needed that kind of love. But, but since I now have it, then what do I do in response? Francis Schaeffer says, how then shall we live? Well, I can tell you this before we go to our sermon next week. What he expects from us for all of this love is to love like him. I know you're waiting on something deep. To love like him. If you're a parent and you have more than one child, what you, what you want, perhaps as much if not more than anything, is for your and, 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 and your spouse's uh, love to so envelop and 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 create this loving environment uh, so much so that your siblings love one another that their siblings I should say love one another in fact the worst thing for a parent is to see his child or their children fighting each other sometimes I have to deal with families who who, who, who lose a loved one, somebody dies, and, you know, you thought you were dealing with some sweet, um, you, you thought you were dealing with some sweet believers. You, you, you thought that until you see them in this, in this bereavement environment. So let's, let's look at, first of all, the security. I'm just giving you this, I'm done almost. Just be aware of that word almost. <laughs> the security, 31 through 39. Understand this, and this is from 31 through 34. There exists no possible accusation against believers. I don't care what Satan brings to God about you. It, 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 it means nothing because, number one, God already sees and knows. He knew everything about us and still died for us. So whatever ills or wrongs or sins that I commit as a believer have already been forgiven. They were on the cross. They were nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus, he who became sin, 
he who became sin, meaning and namely Jesus, he who became sin uh, did so so that uh, we could become the righteousness of God. So whereas now that I'm a believer, when God looks at me, he does not merely see me. He sees a reflection of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Listen, I know I was the one that, that, that broke the law. I was the one that committed the sin. I was the one that went my own independent way. But when God looks at me as a believer, he does not see how messed up I am. He does not see how sinful I am because I've been washed because I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And the lamb's blood was so spotless, was such a cleansing agent that it washed away not only my sins of yesterday, not only my sins of today, but even the sins of tomorrow. I've already been washed. I'm already cleansed. I'm already forgiven. So now the enemy has nothing to hold over my head. That's how he gets us, isn't that right? That's how he, he defeats us when he makes us think that he's the only one that knows how much I've messed up. And so he holds me hostage if I don't know this. He holds me hostage if I don't know the word of God. Oh, but I'm glad to say that we know his word. And we know that there is no condemnation. You can't hold a person hostage when you've got nothing to hold over them. No, 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 no. God already knew everything, and then he sent his son to die for everything, so that ain't no thing. The father will not allow this. He once gave up, gave us rather, his son. He now gives us all things. So not only will the Father not allow this, the Son will not allow this, verse 34. He died for us. He died for us. And he didn't die for us just so that we can go to heaven. He died for us so that we can live out heaven on a day-to-day -day basis right here on earth. Oh, man. He's so far ahead of Satan, he's like, He's like San Francisco 49ers was so far ahead. I'm sorry, y'all. I know it's too soon. I know it's too soon. I know it's, I know it's too soon. I, I know, because I know, I know y'all are Cowboys fans and whatnot. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be personal. I don't, I'm not trying to intentionally induce any pain. He died for us. This is verse 34. He was resurrected for us. And now he's making intercession. He's praying for us. So the first thing I said as it relates to the security, there exists no possible accusation against believers. But then the second kind of main point there is there exists no possible separation from the Savior. You would be amazed at how many church folk, I didn't say believers, I said church folk, still use language like, I'm trying to make it to heaven. Boy, if I can just make it to heaven, I ain't, I ain't going to let you send me to hell. 
Can you, can you hear how defeatist that sounds? As if somebody can do something to you to make you respond to them in such a way that it costs your going to heaven. No. And then, and then the enemy will sometimes make us feel guilty. If we, if we have the assurance of salvation, he'll, he'll kind of plant a seed like, oh, you arrogant. You arrogant with it. You, 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 you bragging. Well, I'm not bragging on me. I'm boasting on God that God had enough love for me and enough power that he saved me. And now I never have to worry or wonder whether I'm going to heaven. I know just like I know I'm a black man in America that I'm going to heaven. I know just like I'm Joseph and Gloria's son that I'm going to hell. I know just like I'm Karen and uh, husband and, and Terry and Carrie's father. Those are matters of fact. I don't have to wake up and feel like I'm married. Anybody ever just woke up one day and just didn't feel married? And you better hope God reminds you before your spouse reminds you. No, I know I'm saved. And there's nothing that can happen, nothing that I can do or not do that can change that reality. So we're secured by God's love. It's not even about me securing myself. It's about God loving me so much that that I have, be, I have become born again. I am regened so that now I bear the DNA of my heavenly father. So when we talk about, and I'm done, when we talk about living love, beloved, it doesn't start with you, it starts with God. It starts with the fact that God so loved you. He so valued you. Even in our sinful state, he loved us so much that he gave not only everything he had, but the best that he had in Jesus Christ. We've got something to shout about. And it was, it's my goal during this whole season on teaching this that, that, that I ain't interested in you shouting up in here and all of that. If you can't shout by the fact that God so loved you that he gave you his very best, there's nothing I can do other than stir up emotions. And I'm not interested in that right now. I'm interested in your head and your heart. I want you leaving here today. Saying to yourself or anybody else that will listen that God loves me. Would you stand with me right now? Father, we are, um, we are amazed by your unconditional love. Why you love us the way we do, we can't explain that. That you love us the way you do, we can appreciate that. And so we thank you today that you've given us not only the opportunity to be the recipient, but, in, but then to be the distributor of the same love. So thank you, God, that your love has a purpose. 
that your love has a promise and that your love has power, wonder-working power. And I pray, oh God, that this, your people, will leave this place today walking like they are loved, like we are loved. You be glorified and praised. In the name of Jesus, we, we pray and praise you. And the people of God shouted amen. Would you put your hands together and just give God some because you love me first kind of love. Thank you for listening to Real Talk with Bishop Brown. We hope that you were blessed. If you would like to accept Christ, join our church, help continue the work we are doing in our ministries, watch live on Sundays, find us on social media, or give online, you can visit the link in the episode description. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.